This is Polyoptics. Shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar. Thanks for joining us as we celebrate our 50th episode of Polyoptics here on POTUS, Politics in the United States, where once again we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. This week, through the lens of the first shooter, Chief Official White House Photographer Pete Souza takes us all inside the bubble for an in-depth discussion about what it takes to capture the visual history of the American presidency. We'll explore Pete's days in the Reagan administration, his time covering the Clinton and Bush White House for the Chicago Tribune, and of course, his current assignment at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I am joined, as always, by the great Joshua King, co-founder of the website polyoptics.com, and Josh was, of course, production chief in the Clinton administration, the same role I played in the George W. Bush White House. Josh, it's great to have you here for the Big Five-O. Great to be with you, Adam. 50 episodes in the can when we finish our conversation with Pete Souza. It's been a great ride so far, and I really look forward to continuing it with you. You know, the role of the White House photographer is uh, something that you and I have talked about a lot on this program. We had David Hume Kennerly on. We've had great photographers like Diana Walker and Doug Mills on this program because we appreciate the role that photojournalism plays in tracking the history of the presidency. That's right, Josh. The visual history of the American presidency is the cleanest, crispest, and I believe truest way to appreciate what transpires both here and abroad in diplomacy and domestic policy. Our presidents are charismatic leaders. What they say, where they go, who they meet with matters. And to be able to have the official White House photographer take time out of his schedule to come in here to the POTUS channel at SiriusXM, it's a huge get. But you know, Adam, the White House photographer has not traditionally been a a known quantity, a character in daily events prior to Pete Sousa working for Barack Obama. You know, I worked with Bob McNeely and Sharon Farmer. You worked with Robert Draper. We've studied the work of Oki Yakamoto uh, and uh, Ollie Atkins, who worked for Richard Nixon and, of course, Kennerly. But these people usually found their stardom after the presidency was over. They would publish a coffee table book. Some of these pictures, like with Ronald Reagan, would become iconic, but over decades, over years. Now, Pete Souza is putting this stuff on Flickr every day. We're seeing history behind the scenes as it happens. Exactly right. And even though as a young 20-something journalist in Washington, I was able to strike up a friendship with Pete Souza when we both worked for the Chicago Tribune, uh, it is his presence on the national stage, his ability to trade on that name in a digital way. Because to know White House photographer Pete Souza and his work says something uh, today, and you were able to have access to it in a way that, that you never had before. And so we'll have to ask him about the, the decisions and photo editing and all the things that go on uh, behind the scenes in the, in the organization that is the White House photo office. But Josh, tell our listeners this. If the President of the United States has one of the most demanding jobs on the planet, Whose job is perhaps that much more physically demanding? Well, it's the White House photographer, right? You've, you've got to be on every flight of Marine One and Air Force One. You've got to look at the president's schedule the night before. You've got to be in position uh, before the president does anything, uh, half an hour, 15 minutes. 
and and you've got to be on on uh, assignment until what what what's known as the lid is given, which is the the president is saying definitively that he is done for the night. He's going to bed. No more news will happen. Yeah, those are the best words that a, a White House staffer and even a photojournalist can hear. So as we give you the 50th hour in this great show we call Polyoptics, we give thanks to Catherine Caperton, of course, our producer who joins us on this journey, Pete Souza, chief official White House photographer for President Obama and director of the White House photo office. Welcome to Polyoptics. Thanks for having me on. This is something that Josh King and I have been talking about since episode number one here at Polyoptics, the ability to talk with an official White House photographer who is still serving in office. Now, this is, of course, not the first time that you've had an honor of being uh, official White House photographer. You're the chief now, but back in the days of Ronald Reagan, you were putting down a shoe leather all over Washington and across the earth uh, covering presidents. What's a day like uh, for you these days as the grand poobah of the photo office, the chief White House official photographer? You know, I don't know that there's any day that's uh, uh, typical. I mean, every day is a little different. Um, but, you know, usually I get in the, in the office at around 8 in the morning, the president comes down from the residence sometime between 9 and 9.30 usually. And then, you know, the day is a series of meetings, events, unexpected things. Um, he's forever walking out of the Oval Office down the, the chief of staff's office. or it's, it's a very fluid day. And so when there's even when there's something not scheduled, I'm usually sitting right outside the Oval Office because you just don't know what what might happen. So I just always want to be around, basically. Pete, do you uh, redocument meetings with the same manifested people that you saw the day before yesterday and the day before that? I mean, the, the national security briefing, the economic briefing, essentially the same cast of characters, maybe different ties. But as a photographer, what do you take into a meeting that basically happens every day? Um, I do. I do do that. Um, you know, the, the, the one meeting that he usually has every day is the, uh, they call it the presidential daily brief. And that's usually the intelligence briefing first thing in the morning. Um, and it is. It's the same cast of characters. And it, there's only so many ways you can photograph it. You know, I guess what I'm trying to do in, in those meetings, if it's routine, is make sure I have, um, you know, usable pictures that in case some something happens in that meeting that, you know, a year from now or five years from now is historical that it's well, it's well documented. I'm also attuned to when there are, you know, uh, uh, big things going on. And, and that, that's when I tend to um, uh, uh, s make sure that I spend usually the entire meeting uh, in the room. So, and, and I have a good feel for when, when big things, historical things are taking place. The issue sometimes for folks is understanding the tempo of the presidency. And of course, as, as two people who've worked deep inside the White House, Josh King and I have a firsthand appreciation of it. But help us understand on, on 
any given day when the president's taking the Oval Office somewhere on 9 or 9.30, he's actually probably had a very busy morning. He might be working from the residence. There are things going on uh, for the president uh, that are happening in spaces outside of the ones that we are most familiar with. For Pete Souza, who's often a fly on the wall, literally creating a visual record, a visual history of this presidency, what is it like to be in those personal spaces in the White House and, and be with the president in those times? Is that something that's more ad hoc where he'll ask or you'll be interested in following? Or is that really a function of the day's calendar, whether or not you go there and be a part of those moments, too? Um, you know, I think I've established with him a sense of uh, trust and access that really anything goes. I mean, I don't ever get kicked out of anything. I know... Uh, uh, that, for instance, when he's having a literal one-on-one meeting with another person, that he wants to have a private meeting. And so for those meetings, I'll, he'll, you know, and he understands that I need to be there and document that. But I'm not going to spend, if it's a 30-minute meeting, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes. I'm going to spend a few minutes getting the essence of the meeting, and then I'll leave. And he doesn't ask me to leave. I just you know, have I, I've gotten used to him. He's gotten used to me. Um, I know my needs. He knows my needs. I know his needs. And it's, it seems to work uh, pretty well. Um, and then, you know, I also understand that uh, it, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the routine meetings. You know, oftentimes I'll give him space in, in those where it's the same players every day. They're talking about the same sort of things. And I won't be there the entire meeting so that sort of he has a break from somebody taking pictures of him. Um, so it's just something that over time I think we've developed a good uh, relationship and and how that all works. Josh King and I have talked for many, many uh, years about polyoptics, the, the the visual imagery, the history of the American presidency, and the ability to communicate with very large groups of people through the visual uh, element. And a lot of that can be messaging. Uh, there have been some very important, almost quintessential moments so far in the Obama presidency, and you have been there to capture all of them. And we want to talk about some of those great moments uh, and some of the highlights for you. But Josh, take us on a rewind, because uh, Pete Souza really has been here in Washington and been a student of the American presidency going, presidency going all the way back to Ronald Reagan. Well, that's right. And, and I was curious, uh, Pete, I wonder if the day that uh, we all found out that Michael Jackson had passed away, whether your mind immediately went back to the old grip and grin of when the King of Pop visited the Reagan White House and, and how working in that White House contrasts with uh, with the Obama White House and then sort of what you did in between Reagan and Obama. You covered uh, our White House, the Clinton White House, and uh, George W. Bush for the Chicago trip. Well, um, the, I think the big difference with uh, uh, the Reagan presidency for me was I was a very young man uh, and he was uh, you know almost this is President Reagan almost 50 years older than me and now I work for a president I'm a, a, a you know a few years older than him so the the, the difference between covering a, a 50 year old president 
And, you know, a 76-year-old president is enormous. I mean, you've got, uh, with President Obama, you've got, uh, um, you know, a relatively young man with uh, two young kids. President Reagan, his children were grown. That You know, they were older. Um, so just those age differences were uh, made it completely different. And, and for me, the other big difference was that I was not the uh, chief photographer. I was one of the staff. So my level of access was not like it is with uh, the current president. Now, that said, I still uh, did get to capture, you know, a lot of moments with President Reagan, including with Michael Jackson. And actually, the the moment that flashed back in my head was when Michael Jackson was at the White House during the Reagan administration. He had actually come to um, an event on the South Lawn. He was the spokesman for Drunk Driving Awareness Month or year or something or other. And I have this picture of uh, uh, President Reagan and Mrs. Reagan in the diplomatic reception room before they're to go out to the South Lawn for this event. And standing in between them is Michael Jackson wearing his, you know, blue outfit with his one white glove. And when you look at the photograph, it looks like he's actually part of the wallpaper. Um, And here the president's having this private conversation with Mrs. Reagan and standing in the middle is Michael Jackson, just kind of like a <laughs> fly on the wall. It, it, so that's sort of what went through my mind when, uh, when, he, when he passed away. To your point, Pete, about working for um, a president in his late 40s uh, versus a president in his 70s, there's a shot that you posted on the Flickr feed uh, not too, uh, about a year ago uh, when Reggie Love was still the personal aide and uh, President Obama went to uh, Sidwell Friends to watch uh, Sasha's basketball game, actually to coach the game. And as Adam and I were talking before you uh, came onto the set, it seems to us that that is the quintessential role of the White House photographer. Michelle and Barack Obama would never allow a pool or, or would be very reluctant to have a pool inside a small gymnasium. But you can show us a moment of a very active president's life uh, outside his official duties by going up to a basketball game like that. Has that been a, um, a very different experience for you than covering uh, or, sh- or being a staff photographer or a news photographer for prior presidents? Um, sure, and I think it's, it's the, 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 the moments that I relish in, in this presidency is, is being you know, the one person that's in the room, whether it be the Oval Office, the Situation Room, or gymnasium, gymnasium in Chevy Chase, Maryland, that is able to 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 capture some of these private moments. And you know, I think for people to understand the way that I work, I work with what I like to say a very small footprint. In that, um, I carry not a lot of gear. Um, I'm not blasting the flash or motor drives. Uh, I'm I'm trying to blend in as much as I can so that uh, the president and the people around him can live their lives, do their normal things. And my presence is basically not even uh, – is not interrupting or causing any uh, disturbances in, in what's taking place. So the, the principle then – 
that just by the virtue of being there, you change the dynamic in the room. You feel like you've transcended that uh, in the way that you work now. I do. I mean, I, I think, um, let me tell you a story. There was a, uh, uh, when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California, he had come to the White House for a, for a big meeting and then was going to meet privately with, with the president um, after lunch. And so usually when the president has lunch is when I run downstairs and grab my lunch. Are you at the window in the mess? Is that what they know Pete's yeah. coming? So um, so uh, this big meeting breaks up. president goes in to have lunch. I run downstairs, quickly eat my lunch, lunch come back upstairs, and I'm waiting outside the Oval Office for the Schwarzenegger meeting to begin. And um, much to my dismay, the door opens and Schwarzenegger walks out of the Oval Office. And I'm like, what just happened? And I basically got into a little bit of a, not an argument, but uh, was teasing the president's secretary, why didn't you let me know? They had, they decided to have the meeting before lunch instead of after lunch, but nobody had let me know. So I was really teasing her about it. Uh, and the president walked out and was like, well, what's the problem? And Katie Johnson, who was then his secretary, said, oh, Pete's mad because he missed the Schwarzenegger meeting. And the president said, well, you were there. You were, you were in there taking pictures. And I was like, no, I wasn't. He goes, yes, you were. So we were having this art. He thought I was in the meeting because he's so used to me being there. So, you know, I, I, I actually took that as a compliment. We are speaking with Pete Souza, uh, chief official White House photographer here on POTUS. You're listening to Polyoptics, Series 6 and 124. You, you, you started to open up a little bit about the way that you work, which I think is fascinating. And there are a lot of people who want to know what Pete Souza, what kind of equipment do you use? Are you a Canon guy? Are you Nikon? Are you 5D Mark II? Are you carrying the 1DS? What, what, kind of equipment are you and your team of photographers using pete and you already opened up a little bit about what you don't do you don't have the power drives going you're not making your own paparazzo sounds you're a very quiet footprint but talk to us a little about the technological advancements in the way you attack what you do uh at the white house i mean so this is you know more for the photography buffs i guess the, we get really in the weeds the, here, Pete. Don't worry about it. Okay. So the, the, the cameras that I use are, are the Canon 5D Mark II. And the reason that I use those, because I think the, the Nikon cameras are you know just as good, maybe better. Um, but when I, when I took this job, I, I compared the cameras very closely. And what I found was that the Canon 5D Mark II was a bit quieter than, than the comparable Nikon. Um, and th that was the main reason that, that I went with uh, uh, Canon. Well, I think uh, the thing that things. fascinates us so much is the innovation of technology, the way that you are utilizing the White House photo stream on Flickr to communicate photographs that in previous administrations would be the kind of jumbos that we would see inside the West Wing on the walls of offices throughout the EEOB, but now those those photographs, those pieces of historic imagery are being made available to people across the world to see almost contemporaneously. Well, and, and you know, to, to be uh, um, uh, 
to explain that a little bit more. I mean, that was not my innovation. I'm not going to. Well, I came one... out of the White House, uh, the Bush White House, and we weren't using that. Right. So but as, this a, was as not... a White House, Pete Souza, you did innovate. You took the White House there. No, I did not. <laughs> I, didn't. I can't take credit for that. That was that was the administration um, coming to me, saying this is what we want to do. I mean, if you go back and look, the first three months of the administration, there were there were no pictures hardly at all on the Flickr photo stream. I don't think there were any. And then you and had they, this great uh, slideshow that was the first hundred days. First hundred days, and that that was when you know the administration said we want to do this all the time. Um, you know, this is not. Uh, I I can't take credit for that decision. Um, that that was the administration uh, coming to me saying this is what we want to do. Were you familiar with it? Was it? Oh, something- sure, 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 sure. I was ambivalent about it. I you know I grew up in um, the you know the the Reagan administration where these were pictures that you would see 20 years from now, not today. And the Obama administration had a different view. They wanted people to see these pictures today. I mean, I'm not being literal because in some instances it's, you know, a week later, two weeks later, we kind of do these Flickr uploads and batches. Uh, um, so, uh, but I mean, once we got started, then, then you know, obviously we we put our heart and soul into making sure we're choosing um, the select photos that we're toning them right, that they're uh, that we're somewhat regular about it, even though sometimes it's every two weeks, sometimes it's every month that we're uploading a batch of photos. But I mean, I think it's a great way for people to see, you know, inside this administration and see Pete, the things that I get to see. Pete, Adam, and I are both. Uh obviously uh closet historians um we 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 love the pre- the institution of the presidency we are students of the great shots going back to uh Oki Akimoto, uh and i obviously worked with uh bob mcneely and adam worked with robert draper uh i collect uh sort of presidential coffee table books uh, the books that are usually published after an administration that are culled from tens of thousands of shots the best of the best and it seems like when you go to the bookstore and you get one of those things and you pay 35 bucks for it, you are afforded a sense of intimacy long after or shortly after the president has left the Oval Office. How do you, how do you square that with any concerns that people may raise that you're, you are lifting the veil on the privacy of the presidency long before, you know, even day of, of when the news happens rather than letting history take its course? You know, this is the this is the direction that the administration chose, as I said, um, and uh, I, you know, I think it's been great for people to be able to see um, inside the White House now. I mean, we're not Absolutely. having to wait twenty or thirty years. You're if there's um, you know a big meeting on Afghanistan in the Situation Room, we're often putting a photo out the same day sometimes within an hour after the meeting. Um, so it gives people a real window into this president and his presidency now. I think that's a, you know, a, a, an interesting uh, and new uh, uh, way of, of, of seeing the presidency. When Jeff Cellini in 2004 asked you to cover this new senator from Illinois, Barack Obama, and watch his uh, 
evolution as a U.S. senator for a year. Through the lens, did you have an, a, a sense that this was a special guy heading into a different job eventually? You know, not at first. I mean, I, I, I was probably one of the few people that hadn't seen his 2004 speech, uh, mostly because I was on the road with John Kerry, who wasn't yet at the convention when uh, Barack Obama made his famous speech, so I never saw it. And my only you know, real knowledge of him was uh, a profile that the New Yorker had done. Um, and so I had I had this vision in my head without really knowing him or, or even knowing that much what he looked like. Um, so, uh, but it wasn't long after, I'd probably say the first, you know, few weeks that I was with him uh, when, when he came to D.C. As, as U.S. Senator that I realized uh, he was, you know, something special. And it made me photograph him in a way that I was thinking about uh, um, making making photographs that would be important uh, 20 years hence if he ever became president. I, literally, I was thinking that way. I mean, for instance, you know, I've got a couple pictures of him in his first office in the Senate basement. And there's like, you know, he's in a, a a room. His office is a room in the basement, no windows, fluorescent lights overhead. There's like computer wires all over the place. He's got his feet up on the desk. And I was trying to make, compose that picture in a way that if he ever makes it to the Oval Office, this is going to be a good comparison photo. I actually literally had that thought in my head. Um, there was another time when we went to Russia and he was walking on the sidewalk of Russia and no one knew who he was and he was basically just another you know pedestrian on the sidewalk and so I was trying to frame it in such a way uh, that this would be an interesting picture in 20 years if he ever became president where he's walking down the street in Moscow and nobody knows who he is. I was actually thinking that way while I was photographing him that first year in the Senate and I think it helped me to have been a White House photographer with President Reagan, um, to know what kind of pictures would come in the future if he ever became pre- if President o- if Senator Obama ever became president. I don't know if that makes sense, but in my head, all these things were, you know, uh, uh, were actually going around, and I was thinking about things like that. I think it's it's fascinating to me. Now I wouldn't be sitting here if he hadn't become president, and I wouldn't be telling the story. And you wouldn't have probably but, uh, published the book in two thousand eight, "The right. Rise of Barack Obama," which right. folks uh, who are listening to us here on POTUS uh, should hopefully have seen. And if you haven't, you need to go take a look at it with this conversation with Pete Souza in mind. One of the things that that I wonder, uh, Pete, is in the the scope of your career, and I want to get personal for a second because. As a young journalist in Washington, D.C., in the, in the mid to late 90s, I found myself working on the television side of the Chicago Tribune, which was this wonderful hybrid bureau where you had some absolutely phenomenal writers, photographers, uh, editors, uh, working all together in one space. And at the far end of the hallway was a guy who you didn't see a lot of because he was always out covering what was going on in Washington. But our bureau chief, Sissy Baker... Uh, whose father, Senator Howard Baker, uh, had been uh, chief of staff to Ronald Reagan, took us aside and said, you need to go speak 
with Pete Souza, he was one of the photographers covering Ronald Reagan. And, and this was a time when we were all starting to learn how to work with print journalists and try and tell stories in a visual way, which, of course, you were doing every day for the cover of the Chicago Tribune. But I got to know you then. But what I didn't know, and I hope you'll share with us now, is what were some of those stories that you covered after the Reagan days, during the Clinton administration, that stand out for you during that time of being, you know, a leading-edge photojournalist covering Washington? You know, I think for me, the 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 important stories were the ones that I actually did away from Washington. I mean, I took the job as the national photographer for the Chicago Tribune, based in D.C., with the idea that I would be doing national and some international stories and not just Washington coverage. Um, you know, we got sidelined a little bit during the uh, Clint- Clinton impeachment year because there was so much interest in that, and I and I ended up spending most of that year in D.C. But for me, the stories were like going to Kosovo and going to, I mean, right, right after 9-11, um, I think it was about three weeks after 9-11, I myself and a reporter, we got into Afghanistan. We were, you know, amongst the first journalists to get into the country. But you, um, now is this true, this this story that, that you actually made it into the country on horseback through a, a major snowfall? Tell us about that. Well, we actually, uh, Steve Franklin and I actually got into Afghanistan through Tajikistan. Not on horseback, we, we had a convoy it took us about you know a week to get across, and then we spent a couple of weeks in in northern Afghanistan, and then we're joined. We were joined by Paul Salapek, another Tribune reporter. Um, Paul and I then uh, did travel by horseback over the Hindu Kush mountains in like three feet of snow, um, so that we could get into the Pancher Valley, be close to Kabul in case there was a final assault on, on Kabul. And our timing was like unbelievable in that. We uh, got into the Pancher Valley about four days before Kabul fell. So we were there when when the, the Northern Alliance took over Kabul from the Taliban. Um, so it was a very historic time and we were, you know, there weren't that many journalists that were there to cover that. So it was, a, it was, uh, it was an interesting, uh, and there were some, you know, definite close calls on 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 those few days that that we uh, uh, were outside of Kabul, um, and I I sort of realized then and I that the 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 adrenaline that one gets from being a war photographer was not in my blood because uh, I, I I was uh, um, I was not the most courageous person, let's say. And uh, it it you know when there's RPG RPG shells exploding 50 feet from you and uh, you know you're thinking about your life and not a picture then you realize this is probably not what you should be doing with your with your career. Yeah. But it was a great experience to to have you know I spent seven weeks in Afghanistan and and I was actually the last day in Afghanistan was the first day that I saw a U.S. soldier. So, because at that time it was mostly an air campaign, um, so I was there basically with the Afghan fighters, um, and so it gave me a real sense of 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 
you know, the complexities of that country. Um, you know, and even today, the, the difficulties that we're having with that war, I have some sense of having having spent, you know, some, some weeks there uh, just at the start of the war. We had on this broadcast, uh, on a prior episode, Sebastian Younger talking to us about his experience with Tim Hetherington and Restrepo and ap- certainly couldn't get through the episode without commenting about how many photojournalists and journalists as a whole had lost their life in 2011 covering the conflict. And, and I think Sebastian, uh, who's just turning 50, also had the observation that uh, the adrenaline that does come from being a war correspondent uh, tends to uh, fade if, as you as you get up toward 50 and have more people who are dependent on you and, and thinking not so much about uh, the risks that you're taking personally, but how many people depend on you back home. And, and at some point, it's time to to stay closer to home, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I had a couple close calls in Kosovo and a couple close calls in Afghanistan, and I did not uh, uh, cover the Iraq War. I, uh, it, you know, mostly for family reasons. Um, I probably could have gone if I, had, you know, I could have talked my sweetheart into it. But at that point, I just didn't have the great uh, desire to go. It just was not. Um, it, you know, I, I, you know, Chris Hondras was a friend of mine, and he passed, and you know, and I've I've seen what hap- what can happen to people, and it's just not, uh, you know, I have the greatest admiration for uh, people that cover conflict, but I but I realized deep deep down inside of me that I was not that good at it, and if you're not that good at it, then you probably shouldn't be there. Um, so, you know, I made a decision not to cover the Iraq war. Um, and I don't regret that. I mean, it, it was just, you know, I had had a good feel for what it was like to be in a war zone twice. And for me, that was enough. You were listening to Polyoptics here on POTUS, Series 6 and 124. We're speaking with Pete Souza, the chief official White House photographer of the Obama administration. Now, Pete, we had David Hume Kennerly on this broadcast some time ago, and he, he gave us some insight into his time uh, occupying this space as the chief official White House photographer. One of the things he talked about was the influence that he had, the uh, purview to help direct the coverage of the presidency through the lens of news photographers. Is this part of your portfolio? Is this something that you're involved in? Obviously, you've already talked to us about how you have been on both sides of this fence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue before. Um, you know, what I do, uh, what I do, I try to do privately behind the scenes. When the uh, press office comes to me and says, this is the White House press office, comes to me and says, we want to have ex-photographer from Time Magazine uh, spend the day with the president. Um, I help every way I can. Listening to that, Pete, you know, and, and not sort of uh, giving, away, giving away any house secrets, the, the New York Times had a fascinating um, lens blog a little earlier um, about the visit of Prime Minister Cameron t- uh, to the White House last uh, earlier. And uh, Adam and I were both remarking on it in a prior show. There was a great front page A1 New York Times picture 
that really what I would call the classic process shot, which is behind the backs of the president and prime minister looking back toward the south side of the Oval Office and the entire pool surrounding uh, these two, the head of state and head of government as they as they conferred. And it's the kind of shot that you never see because, frankly, the only way to get it usually is uh, when a Pete Sousa or a Bob McDealy gets in the way of everyone else to get that panorama. And yet that shot was made and there was no Pete Sousa. Can you shed light a little bit on how that picture was made? Well, I mean, I think Doug Mills, who, uh, uh, you know, has the photo credit on that photo, explained it in his in his lens blog. And so I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk about it. It's something that Doug wanted to do. He wanted to mount a remote camera on the mantle uh, fireplace uh, behind the president and the prime minister during the the uh you know the the photo spray and uh uh Doug came to me um and um I said you know I think that's doable let's talk to Josh Ernest the deputy press secretary cuz really it's up you know the press office needs to sign off on those things so Josh thought it was a good idea so then I w- I went to the director of oval office operations I said, hey, th- this is what we want to try to do. I think it's doable. Let's try it. And we talked, you know, uh, what the the logistics would be. Um, what the, the, the One of the concerns was, would the camera show up in other people's photos? Because then it's sort of like, then it becomes a problem. Well, there happens to be a lot of ivy on the mantle. So we basically, Doug hid the camera in the IVs with just the lens popping out. Um, the one thing that I suggested he do is tape over the, I think it was a Canon camera, tape over the, the Canon because it's all white because that would may show up. So he put a piece of black tape over that. And, um, and then he just set it off by remote control when, um, when the president and the prime minister sat down for this uh, Oval Office spray. So that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, Doug... Doug and I worked on many uh, remote camera shots uh, during the Clinton years. He was great at mounting to the light trusses during the walkout for right. East Room events, and and I just uh, and, and Doug was on our show on a prior episode, and we we just can't imagine where he's going to put the remote camera next. I want to take everybody listening to us uh, with the benefit of of your words inside the White House on May one, two thousand and eleven. I have studied the pictures that uh, have been released. There is one in particular on this night when the president is uh, ensconced in the in the sit room with all of his advisors, with you as well. Uh, the night that uh, we executed this raid in Abbottabad, Pakistan, on the compound that that housed Osama bin Laden. But there are many other photographs, uh, some of which have been made public of the time after that moment and before the president spoke. Take us, if you can, into those moments. You captured some unbelievable imagery. And one of those photographs is one that I think for many people is just the epitome of, of Barack Obama in his first term. And I don't know if you agree with that. Well, you know, the the um, that was an interesting day. Obviously, it was a historic day. And um, the... I probably shot a thousand pictures that day. There was a series of meetings before uh, the mission began that day, all of which I photographed. Um, 
And then there was the, you know, the Situation Room is actually comprised of three conference rooms. And usually the president's in the large conference room. Um, for the 40 minutes while they were monitoring uh, the mission in real time, they moved into a small conference room, which is the picture that you talked about that has gotten so much, you know, notoriety. And, um, you know, at the end of that day, I had, you know, uh, a, a, a series of images, and it wasn't until the next day that the the, the White House decided let's 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 um, let's release some of these photos. So I actually did the editing myself just because the the importance of this. Um, I knew there was a lot of sensitivity, um, and you know, so we did we did our edit, and then uh, we had this one picture that that you talk about and the 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 we had a problem and there was something that had to be blurred out of that there photo, was wasn't there it? was a problem in that there was a classified uh document on the table and that was a problem because um you know we don't release photos with classified documents we'll just we'll just scrap the photo but i felt that this photo was was really telling of you know what had taken place, and um, you know, and I tried to see if we could get the document declassified. That was the first option, mm-hmm. and that did not work. So I made the decision to uh, pixelize the document. We had never done that before. Yeah, it's I knew very very rare. I mean, you're saying never before. When I never actually, done it, but the photo, the intensity of this photograph draws you to a different place, and you really have to study it to even see that there's something pixelated there, Pete. No, but but I know I know how news organizations react to redacted. You know. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing that I did was I, and I I wrote the caption myself because I wanted people to know right up front, we blurred this document. No, you know, no. No funny bar. business. Yeah. No funny business. If it's up to you now to whether you want to use the photograph or not, and the fact that the New York Times used it as a six-column photo, you know, made me feel good. In that, I think they realized it was an important photograph, even though we had to, you know, pixelize this document. But you know, I but I also have to say that I didn't realize that just that one photograph would get all this attention, because I thought. Some of the other photographs from throughout the day were just as important, and there's like one close-up of the president during one of the meetings that I thought was really intense. But it's but everybody gravitated to this to this one, and I understand you know I understand why. But at the time, I didn't I didn't realize that it would you know. So that's be, not something for you. This this idea that as you see the the picture and compose it. Through you, through the lens, with your eyes, that it, it's it's that meaningful in that moment. I mean, you're, you're working on the next one. You're thinking about so much all at once. You have to go back, and and what during that edit appreciate the nuances, the differences, or still to this day in your mind, even when you took them, that you just thought that this was the moment, the crystallized moment. No, I mean, I think that there were, for me there were a lot of moments that day, and. Um, the 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 photographs that were taken while they were uh, monitoring the mission, there were probably maybe a hundred pictures taken in that particular setting. 
and a lot of them were somewhat similar. But, you know, you're looking for the right facial expressions on everybody that makes it work as a cohesive picture. And it's you're not blasting away with a motor drive, you're waiting for, you know, this moment, that moment. And I, th I think everything came together in that one picture where everybody's facial expression looked appropriate for what was going on in front of them. Pete, the president's transition from being a candidate to being president of the United States, the his conduct of foreign policy, the way you've just described, his climactic decisions that he's had to make with regard to the economy, the auto bailout, and other things, and some of the major things that have happened over the past three years. As you say, Pete, you, you can take about a thousand pictures a day on a busy day, and there, if you, I don't know if you have the total of of how many you've shot since that first time, maybe that you shot the the redo of the of the oath of office that John Roberts administered. But uh, that has been tried. Those three years have been encapsulated in a 17-minute film by Davis Guggenheim called "The Road We've Traveled," uh, that is being used by the 2012 Obama campaign. It certainly seems like there are a lot of um, still pictures uh, from your repertoire that are in the film, are there? Yeah, um, there, there are quite a few. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that I would have chosen the exact same ones that that, that he used. Um, I think some of the ones he used were the were the exact right ones to use. But you know, it's it's. Uh, if you go to the Flickr site, there's you know three thousand pictures there or something like that, and I think it's probably hard for uh, for somebody to edit that down to you know the best uh, twenty pictures. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I've done a couple of um, uh, photo exhibits uh, at the Leica Gallery in New York, and it's been a good exercise for me in in trying to uh, put together you know thirty. Uh, pictures, as opposed to you know just this mass, and thirty that represent the many facets of his life: foreign policy, economic policy, family life, private life, that kind of thing. And so it's been it's been, um, if anything, that that exercise has been valuable to me in seeing my work uh, narrowed down to a small select set of pictures that encompass encompass, you know, basically like his first three years, which is hard to do. Um, yes. And because you end up losing a lot of pictures that you really like, but you're also trying to make sure that you're, you're, you're giving a, a good view, a good accurate view to the viewer of what his life is like on a, you know, over, over the course of a, a few years. So your your disclaimer on the on the Flickr photo stream says the, this official White House photograph is being made available only for publication by news organizations and or personal use printing by the subjects of the photograph, et cetera, et cetera. So so Guggenheim basically did his own editing off the photo stream. That's how he dis he picked his shots for his film. Yes, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I don't know if he himself did. Right. Some somebody with the campaign or somebody with his company did. Now I'm following you. I'm following you on Twitter. Uh, I'm looking at the photo stream a lot. I talk to people who look at the photo stream a lot, and you yourself are talking about the difficulty of of editing yourself down to 30 shots showing the range 
of his life, we began this conversation talking about the challenge of um, of watching the presidency behind behind the curtain in a way through your lens. But what's the best way to follow the presidency of Barack Obama through imagery, uh, given how much there is to absorb and see? How does anyone make a choice, and and what's the route that a person should take to sort of see the work of your you and your office? Well, I mean, to see the the work of my office, um, you know, I would encourage people to uh, look at the photo stream, which is uh, Flickr dot com slash White House, and there's no e in Flickr, so it's F L I C K R dot com. And if you White don't House. know that, you shouldn't be listening to Polyoptics here. No, no, no. And then, you know, whitehouse.gov, we try to do a photo of the day uh, at least five days a week, Monday through Friday, sometimes on weekends. Um, and, you know, I, 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 but I also think it's important to see what, um, you know, the press photographers are, mm-hmm. are uh, producing because, you know, my, my view is up close and personal and... Um, you know, I think it's also valuable to see how the New York Times or the Wire guys are, are are covering the White House. So, I mean, you know, Doug Mills and Steve Crowley do a great job of of um, they're both with the New York Times. They do a great job of covering the White House, and I think it's valuable to look at their work as well. I have a question that I am really uh, excited to be able to ask you. Is we debate this a lot, and this is a completely uh, subjective question. Um, in the Reagan administration, you had Mike Deaver. In Clinton, among others, Josh King, who began to employ uh, messaging and backdrops, step and repeat patterns, the kinds of things that uh, leveraged location and political messaging to let you know purely through the visual, where you were, what was going on in this event. And I think that through Scott Sforza and some of the work that I tried to carry on in the Bush administration, we really uh, did ourselves, uh, some would say too much so. But wherever we went, uh, the the photographs of President George W. Bush and also of President Clinton uh, gave you a great sense of where the president was. My criticism or concern at the beginning of the Obama administration was we lost all of that. It was a stark contrast. It was a whole lot of blue drape, American flags. The photos looked exactly alike, whether he was in Chicago or Indiana or here or there. They looked the same. Now, that's not the up-close and personal view that we were getting through your lens on the Flickr stream, but for news photographers, for people who were trying to create a narrative, connect the dots, where's the boss? This was, in point of fact, exactly what we had. Now, there's been a break from this. We've had more messaging, uh, a concentrated effort, it would appear to me, to do some greater set design. Can you talk about this at all or what, what it is to tell that story visually of the presidency through official events and whether or not you've seen, as a news photographer and an official White House photographer, any movement back towards messaging and imagery uh, in the Obama administration over the last three years? You know, I don't really think about those kinds of things. That's not my job. My, my job is to document what is happening in front of me and that, you know, I'm not the communications guy or the message guy. And I hadn't really thought that much about this until you just brought it up. Um, I think it's on their mind to, to you know, uh, 
to travel to places that are trying to uh, uh, enhance their message. Um, and it sounds like you don't think they've been very successful at it. Well, I imagine you got a lot of pictures from events that are blue drape and, and American flags um, that are more the kinds of photos that if you don't have backstage access to the president that, that we're actually seeing on you know the Getty image wire from event to event. I was just wondering if you appreciate that, if you notice that. Sometimes now we see whitehouse.gov and, and actual backdrops produced by the White House communications team that really tell the story of where the president is in a more fulsome way. And those pictures sometimes even make their way into the official White House photography book of work. Uh, you know, I guess uh, I I guess you're right. I mean, the I mean, I'm just trying to think. You know, we were at the Dubliner on Saturday, and that Love wasn't that blue shot. drape of the, in the background. <laughs> there were some great shots, you know, but uh, but Pete, that's what Adam's talking about. That 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 if you think about maybe Michelle Obama and her um, Olympic uh, tryouts with Jimmy Fallon to go, to go to the Dubliner on Saturday, it just feels to us like the White House is feeling more comfortable with itself and able to do things that are more sort of normal for, uh, for I wouldn't say normal for a president, but, but just more natural for a person spending time on a weekend or, or having some fun the way Mrs. Obama was with Jimmy Fallon. It just feels a little looser and happier through the lens these days. The, you know, the funny thing, you know, we talked about the difference between uh, um, Reagan and, 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 and this administration in terms of my coverage. And, you know, one of the things that maybe – uh, fits into this conversation is during Reagan, you had three networks and CNN was just starting it out. And basically, you know, you mentioned Mike Deaver. All they were thinking about back then was the camera shot on the three networks. That's all they had to worry about. And now you've got a million blogs, you've got a zillion TV stations, cable, Fox, you know, you name it. And it's its hard to, uh, I think it's harder to do messaging now than it was back then. Now, you know, it's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought that much about the, the, the whole backdrop thing. And I don't know that that, well, maybe it is important. I, I, mean, I mean, it was certainly important back in the Reagan days. Um, I... I believe personally that it's very important, uh, especially when you think about uh, the the picture on the cover of the paper, the article you won't read, the caption you might only scan, what did you glean from that photograph, uh, and the newscast that you only caught sound down. So being able to, to glean uh, location information or message information from a picture is, 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 is really critical in the, in the sort of digital society we're in. But this is the juxtaposition of the work that you do with the sort of mainstay photography that we get from from White House news press photographers who are more put into the uh, the pen of places that they can be. Their, their egress is managed. I mean, they're put in a place oftentimes to capture a shot that is going to be very similar to every other shot you're going to see with the exception of the work of our guest here on Polyoptics, Pete Souza. I mean, I don't know. I think that the 
Yeah, I think this this administration has done a fair job. I mean, I think maybe you're being a little too. Careful. I mean, all administrations. I wasn't trying to single out yeah. the Obama administration on that. I mean, we I'm were thinking, you know, the so it. I mean, it sounds like what what you're saying is that in terms of the the messaging, that it'd be better. Uh, I I mean, I can remember when we went to to talk about you know infrastructure and bridges and you know they said that this was in Ohio or Kentucky. That's right. I can't That's remember right. where, and I thought that was a great setup. For uh, it was a great know. it was a great visual indeed, and it, it said a lot about where you were and why you were there. Yeah. Well, we have enjoyed a, a phenomenal conversation uh, with you, Pete Souza. We are very grateful that the uh, chief official White House photographer would take time out of his busy schedule uh, in the daily events that mark the life of Barack Obama to take some time here with us at Polyoptics. We're a huge fan of your work, and we appreciate your service to the country. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed it. Josh, I mean, delivering on the promise of polyoptics by talking to, to Pete Souza, a phenomenal get, a great coup de grace for the team here and our producer, Catherine Caperton. That was 50. I'll see you right back here for 51. <laughs>